Would you pray with me? Father God, we're grateful to be here this morning. We're grateful for the life that you've given us. And we're grateful that you've brought us to this place at this time to hear your word. So I pray that as we open your word this morning, you would speak to our hearts, you would speak to our minds, you would touch our souls with the very word of God. I thank you for the power of the word of God, for the fact that it is sharper than any two-edged sword and able to pierce through to the very marrow. So God, we ask you to pierce through today, pierce through our preconceptions, pierce through our fears, pierce through our worries, pierce through our um, whatever, our armor uh, that we have put on, not your armor. Pray that you would pierce our hearts today and teach us your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Just a, a quick question. So far, we've looked at the spiritual battle that is what we call life. We've looked at the enemy, meaning the flesh and the world systems, and and dug in a little bit extra on Satan and the enemy in that way. And then we've looked at the um, belt of truth, and we've looked at the breastplate of righteousness and what God says about that. Anything that's hit you, maybe just four or five people, if there's a, a quick line that's hit you so far. I've been thinking about uh, how the belt of truth holds the breastplate of righteousness in place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Truth and righteousness connected like that. The belt of truth. If you don't have the belt of truth, uh, you also don't have armor of integrity. Mm-hmm. Powerful. Did you hear that? We've got two more pieces to talk about today. And we're going to read about those in um, chapter 6 of Ephesians. If you haven't figured it out by, by now, we spend a lot of time in Ephesians 6. So make sure that you have a spot um, saved there because we'll come back to it more and more today. So open your Bibles, if you would, to Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 17. We're going to read it all together. Well, I'll read it. I wish we could read it all together. That would be powerful. But some would keep reading and reading and reading. Where's that Amplified Bible? (laughs) They'd be here till next week. We'd all be done and back at lunch. So let's read along with me. Finally, finally, Paul has taken all of Ephesians to tell us as believers how we can live. If you just took the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, You could pray thankfulness for all the things that God has done for us in the, and Paul lists it all in the book of Ephesians. Such great um, truth found in that book. But in the end, he says, finally, verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Not our might, God's might. Put on... The full, uh uh-uh, 
What? If you're feeling weak in your strength, that may be exactly where God wants you. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, because of that, because of all of that that's happening in those heavenly places, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one. And I'm going to stop there because that's where we stop today in this armor of God. He says, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The word gospel means the good news. The good news of peace. Put on, shod your feet, put on the shoes of the good news of the gospel of peace. In the Roman uh, soldier, for the Roman soldier, they uh, wore sandals. And those sandals tied up their ankles and, and held firm to them. But on the bottom of their soles, their thick leather soles, they had nails that went down because as they walked along and as they ran or as they did battle, they needed something that would help them stand firm. So those nails um, in the bottom of their soles would keep them firm. It would help them not to slip as they went in to battle. Um, they, had, they were thick leather. They had nails sticking out. They tied up. They were secure on their feet and helped them to stand secure. The gospel of peace is the good news that we can have peace with God. It's really kind of twofold. It means that we can have peace with God. Maybe it's threefold. We can have peace with others, and we can have an absence of worry in our hearts. Before we um, became believers, before we became Christ followers, maybe, maybe in as you think about it, maybe you didn't experience this, but the reality is, is that our nature made us want to live for ourselves. We didn't want to live for God. We didn't have any desire to live for him. We didn't care necessarily about his plans. We were in conflict with God, but God in his great love for us made a way for us to have peace with him. I'm going to read to you 2 Corinthians 5. 18 and 19. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but have you noticed that Tom in his <laughs> sessions has used the same passages that, and, he, and, he, and I think, whoa, he's quoting me. <laughs> what? What? So 
yeah, I gave him my best material. <laughs> and then Bonnie said the same thing. She, in her Bible study, is using the same passages that we're talking about in here. So if you haven't heard Bonnie, she speaks right after this in the tabernacle. She's doing a great job talking about the cross. But isn't it amazing how God in his sovereignty brought them all together? That's just crazy. And you know what else is crazy? Here's another thing that's crazy about God is that um, Matt doesn't know what Tom is speaking about. And so he has to pick out a song for the very end um, of Tom's talk before he even hears them. Have you noticed how they correlate? Like, do-do-do-do, freaky. But isn't that just the way God, God's word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword? You know, it's all working together. God's word has, are, are words of life. It's amazing to me. So anyway, where was I? 2 Corinthians. You can quote me on this later, Bonnie, if you want. Okay. Right here. If you want to use this one, <laughs> this is a good one. So anyways, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I'm quoting you. Let's just face it. I'm your biggest fan. So there we go. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19 says this. Stick with me here. It says, now all these things, I'm going to go back to 17. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the word to, world to himself, not counting their trans, trespasses against them. And he has committed us to the word of reconciliation. Anybody in here an accountant? Anybody here math? Anybody in your business? What is reconciliation? When it all comes together, do you agree? You don't know. Balancing. Balancing it out. Okay? This balance thing. And your, 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 your ins have to equal your outs, right? And then, you're, then it's all reconciled. I don't really know. I'm not a math major. <laughs> obviously, but it is a mathematical term. So God is in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. He's not got this big balance sheet. Oh, she did this. Check. Oh, she did this. Check. Oh, and again, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. He's not doing that. He has reconciled us to himself. Another way to look at that, too, is that you have to have Perfect, perfect, perfect. So God's not counting our, he is reconciled. He has paid the price for us to have a relationship with him. We can have peace with God because God did all the work. It's not me and my work, it's God and what he has done. So we can have peace with God. Somebody um, read Philippians 4, 6, and 7. You might as well turn there. We're going to be there a few times today. So turn there and keep one of your fingers in there. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present the request to God. And Oh, you got it. And, and 7. seven. Be anxious for some things, he says. 
be anxious. Be a little bit anxious about everything. <laughs> be anxious for nothing. Anxious. Anxious. Don't worry, he says. Don't worry. Be anxious for, no for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be known to God. And then what does he say the peace of God will do in verse 17? I'm sorry, it'll guard your hearts. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding. Whose understanding? Our understanding. How does he do that? We don't know. It's beyond what we can imagine. Have you ever had a peace in a situation you thought, I don't know why I'm peaceful right now? So the peace of God is going to guard our hearts, according to verse 17. Uh -uh, according to verse 7. And, and what else will it guard? Guard our minds. Why would we need our minds to be guarded? Right? You, you guys are all laughing like, oh, duh. You got to have one first. Right? <laughs> right, because isn't it our minds that go those places? It's not just our hearts that God wants to guard. And it wants to be enveloped in that peace. It's our minds because that's what races. That's what goes when we wake up in the middle of the night. That's where, you know, when you, when you hear the news, it goes to the furthest, darkest place, right? It'll guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Peace is going to guard us. And it's going to protect us from the storms of life. Colossians 3.15 Somebody read that out for me, please. Keep your fingers in Philippians, but just go a couple, turn your page one or two things. 3.15, Colossians. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace, and be thankful. Good. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, and what, and be what? Thankful. Thankful. Then he goes on in verse 16, Paul says, let the word of Christ, right, the truth that you've belted around you, let the word of Christ dwell, richly dwell within you. Let that word dwell. Because you know what? What, what sh throws out those the feelings of um, worry and anxiety is the word of God. It's the word of God. So we are to let peace rule in our hearts, and we are to be thankful. I love that. Thankful for what? In everything, give thanks. Thankful that we have peace with God, right? Thankful that we can have peace with others. Thankful that we can experience peace, because as God's word dwells richly in us, we experience his peace. I have an interesting thing that happened to me in high school. I didn't watch the 700 Club, but I was flipping channels, and the 700 Club was on, and, and this one woman said, two things to do when you are, I think she said depressed or feeling down or anxious, um, which is the most common disorder among professional counselors, anxiety and depression. And she said, two things to do. First of all, she said, stop feeling sorry for yourself. And the second thing she said is, in everything, give thanks. And she said, start small. Start with your pillow <laughs> or your teddy bear or something that you can give thanks in in the midst of whatever you feel like is coming at you that's overwhelming you. 
and then see how much you can grow in, in what you are thankful for until the point where even the problem, there's several seats in the front and a couple in the middle right here. Don't even worry about it. We've all been there. Um, but to grow to the point where even the, the big challenge that's in front of you is something that by God's strength you could be thankful for. We are a family with relatively normal feet size. However, we have a six foot three son who has um, shoes that are 13 and a half. So when our family, mostly the kids, walk into the, our front door, they drop their shoes off right there. Now, sometimes there'll be four or five pairs of shoes for each child. <laughs> dropped off in the front hallway. And, and they're not children right, anymore. They're not. They're not so much. But I can't always tell our girls' shoes apart. They wear the same size. I don't necessarily know whose shoes belong to whom, so I can't put them in the right spot. I can't You wouldn't anyway. No, I wouldn't, because it's your job. She's trying to train I'm them. I'm training in uh, the way they should go. When they are old, they will not depart from it. Um, I will wake them up from a sound sleep to come move their shoes, though, because I feel that's my God-given responsibility. <laughs> Has nothing to do with this story. I can, I can, I, sometimes I can't tell Matt's and Graham's shoes apart. They wear the same size. But guess what? I can always tell who belongs to those size 13 and a half boats. Poor Hunter. You know what? I can also recognize my father's shoes my heavenly father's shoes. I've experienced the peace that God gives. And when I grab those shoes that he has given me as armor and I attach them to my feet and I experience the peace that he gives, I recognize Abba's shoes. If you want peace in your life, you're going to have to grab his shoes and you're going to have to put them on and I promise you'll experience peace as you've never experienced it before because God has given us that armor, given to us at salvation, armor. Wouldn't think of shoes as being that necessary or even needing or being included in the armor of God. But he says, put on those shoes of peace. The virtue that Paul connects to sandals is peace. What is your definition of peace? What is peace? Yes. It says, and God's peace shall be yours. And then it goes on to uh, define peace as the tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ. Okay. Mm. Like, uh, was talked about last night. And so fearing nothing from God and being content with this earthly, earthly lot, whatever sort of that should be, that peace, which transcends all understanding, shall mount guard over your hearts and minds. Okay. Good. <laughs> That peace. peace that, good. Tranquility is, uh, was a word mentioned in there. What else? Peace. Peace that passes all understanding. No judgment. No judgment. Okay, good. Not fighting against mm. the circumstances. No worries. 
Completeness. No anxiety. No depression. Ah. Reconciliation with God. With others. Good. Wonderful. Good. What then would you, what words would you use to describe then the opposite of peace? Chaos. Turmoil. Turmoil. Strife. Anxiety. And depression. (laughs) Oh, you're just ahead of your time, Lou. War. Okay. War. War with who? War with God. War with others. War within ourselves. Fear. Fear. Yeah. Yeah. I think most of the time when I think of peace, I think maybe the opposite is, uh, the opposite of that is fear. The fear. Fearing God. Fearing the future. Fearing the unknown. Fearing whatever. Anxiety. I like that. All of those. What else? Anything else, you guys? Unrest. Mm. If. Ah. Good. Very good. Of all the things that the thief that we've talked about, of all the things the thief that comes to steal, kill, or destroy, peace is almost always at or near the top. Would you agree? Of all the things he comes to destroy, peace is it. Peace with God, peace with others, peace with ourselves. Satan intentionally stirs up discord and division and disruption and disturbance in us and around us. And he loves to do it because it keeps us off guard. It keeps us backing up. It keeps us wavering when he throws in that discord and that uh, division. Satan is the the Lord of chaos and confusion. You know, if Satan can keep you off balance like that, which the lack of peace does, he's completely shut you down from any sort of positive momentum, any sort of traction, any sort of intentionality and all you're trying to do is get your balance back and so you can't do anything else or help anybody else if you if you are not steady on your feet without peace see what satan wants to do is he wants you uneasy and he wants you unbalanced and he wants you filled with anxiety lou or worry or turmoil we've said those words and he wants you lacking in peace And you can be sure, Priscilla Shirer says this in her study, you can be sure that anywhere peace is lacking, the enemy is at work. Let me say that again. You can be sure that anywhere peace is lacking, the enemy is at work. Satan's always at work trying to steal your peace. So where do you see anxiety or worry in your life? Where do you see it? Do you see it in your family? Do you worry about your children, your grandchildren, your spouse, your whatever, your parents? Do you see it anxiety and worry in your friendships? Do you see it with your job? Are you worried about what's next? About worried about are they going to keep me? Worried about am I going to be able to provide any of those things? Do you see it with your ministry? Where do you see 
that anxiety because where you see it, Satan is working. And so that whole idea of having our feet shod with the good news of peace is, let, is that, let's face it, you can only go as far as your feet will carry you. I know this is true, the fact that I can only go as far as my feet can carry me because I have problems with my feet. I'm going to be honest. I know. <laughs> Matt calls me old hammer toe. I've had bunions. My feet always hurt. Matt's grandmother used to say, if your feet hurt, everything hurts. Can I get an amen? Amen. <laughs> you can only go as far as your feet are going to carry you. So for a Roman soldier not to have the proper footwear as he goes into battle would maybe leave him out of the battle completely or at the very least leave him vulnerable to the enemy. So if he didn't have the proper footwear on, if his feet weren't shod correctly, he would be vulnerable or out of commission. When your, when your feet don't have the proper shoes, listen, it's impossible for you to stand for long periods of time, right? Ladies, you know what I mean because you've worn heels at a wedding for hours, dancing. Oh, no, unless you don't dance. Then you didn't dance. Then you, then you shuffled. <laughs> you banqueted. But you know what I mean when you've got the wrong pair of shoes on for whatever it is you're doing. Your feet hurt. And you can't stand because you don't have the proper footwear on. Any shoes on. That would be disastrous also. Because if you right, if you can't, if you can't, if you if the soldier didn't have any shoes on when he went out to battle, there's places you can't go if you don't have the shoes. right footwear. No shoes, no shirt. No You've nice. got it. So it is impossible to stand for long periods of time. Listen, it's Without impossible if you, if for you the guys gospel. who don't understand the whole, um, the, the whole thing about uh, women in their shoes. It's impossible for you to move with any agility with the wrong shoes. I have sons. They have to have the basketball shoes to play basketball. I don't get it. I don't get it. You've got tennis shoes. Go play in there. They, the NBA players don't play in sandals. They don't play in flip-flops. They have the shoes that they need to do what they're going to do. You cannot move with any kind of agility or stand for long periods of time without proper shoes. It's the gospel of peace without which you can't go places. You can't. Um, if you think about it, shoes. Is it my turn? No. Well, land the plane, honey. It's my turn. <laughs> she says that to me every other Sunday. <laughs> like out in the pew, she's like. Okay. <laughs> and I know it's really bad if she's like, honey, you preached your way through three good endings. <laughs> That's what I know. I really messed it. Aren't you glad you're not married to me? 
that's all I can say. No, you are glad. I, I don't even know what you're talking about. Right. So stay where you are, because life without peace, I'm just getting warmed up here. Life without peace is simply unprotected and crippled. You can't move forward, you're unable to mature, and you're unable to develop as a healthy believer. You can't stand and you can't move. Somebody read Psalm 119, 165 for me. Somebody say they'll read it. Okay, somebody read Isaiah 54, 10. Okay, somebody turn to Luke 1, 76 through 79. Okay, and then somebody else hold where your finger was, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Thank you. So somebody, Psalm 119, 165. The people who love your instruction enjoy peace and lots of it. There's mm. no stumbling for them. Wow. Okay. The people who what? Love your instruction. Okay, good. Love your instruction. Anybody else turn to that and have another word? Love your word. If you love God's instruction and you love his word, you're going to have peace. What does Isaiah stumble? You will not stumble. <laughs> Isaiah 54. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken. For my covenant of peace be removed. Okay. So he's saying, even if your mountains crumble and your earth is shaken, have you ever been shaken? Sometimes to the very core, when you get that diagnosis, you lose that job, that relationship crumbles, you're shaken. But what does he say, even if that happens? Read that again, that last part. My unfailing love for you will not be shaken. Oh, my. Good. My unfailing love for you will not be shaken. I don't care. God says, I, I know all of this. Even if all of that happens, I will not, my love for you and my peace will not be shaken. Luke 1, 76 through 79. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give to his people the knowledge of their salvation by the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercies of our God, with which the sunrise from on high shall visit us, shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Okay. Wow. So John, John, no, Luke is referring to who? Who's going to go before? John the Baptist. He's going to go before and he's going to talk about this and he's going to bring peace. He's going to bring the message of peace because he's going before the prince of peace. And he's going to proclaim his message. And then again, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not fret or have any anxiety about anything, but in every circumstance and in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, continue to make your wants known to God. And God's peace shall be yours, that tranquil state of the soul, assured of its salvation through Christ, and so fearing nothing from God and being content with his earthly love, which transcends all understanding, Great, thank you. Don't worry, don't be anxious, but God's peace will guard our hearts. Our salvation isn't just about getting to heaven and avoiding hell. If really, if that were all our salvation brought, if we became 
say, then why wouldn't God just zap us and transport us right up to heaven? Or why don't we just live through life and at the very end all become Christians? If heaven were the only thing that we had to look forward to as believers, if, if that's all that was, if it's all, if heaven was all there was, it would still be great. It would be great, but it's much more than that. There's much more to life than just living until we get to heaven and then expecting it to be different up there. We can have peace with God and we can experience the peace of God. Galatians 5, are you jumping in again because you think it's your turn? No, I just wanted to say that, you know, one of the things I say every so often to the folks in our church is, is when I'm inviting them to receive Christ, not just because you might die tonight, but because you probably won't. And the blessings of his peace um, that you can stand on and move with. Um, and the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace. peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, all of those things, but love, joy, peace, the top three are the things that God uh, wants us to experience. In John 14, 27, Jesus said, My peace I leave with you, peace I give to you. When Jesus Christ came into your life, he brought a welcome basket, a fruit basket, and he gave you all of these things, this housewarming gift, and that verse in John 14 continues. It says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Don't let it be fearful. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. That fruit basket, that housewarming gift that he gave to us when we became believers contained all that we need. Peace, love, joy. God's given us this as our armor. He said, pick it up, put it on, strap those sandals of peace to your feet, because when you have them, you'll be able to stand and stand firm. Our job is to make sure that all of that fruit, that peace, that love, that joy, that all of the fruit that he's given us was not left, is not left unused or unappreciated. He didn't just want us to put it away aside. You know how when you get a gift and you think, We've got somebody in our church who gives us these little um, um, ceramic Lennox. Don't get me wrong. They're beautiful uh, um, birds. And so, you know, some of them are that high. Some of them are. But she, I think she's given us about 12. More than that. I might have run out of places to put them. Just saying. The Audubon Society, she must give some money to. She's 95. Yeah. And... So bless her heart, but I've run out of room. What do I do with them? That's not what God wants us to do with what he has given to us. He wants us to display those fruit of the spirit that he's given us. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, we read it. What causes the peace of God to guard our hearts? Somebody read it again. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Don't be anxious about anything. Rather, bring up all your requests to God in your prayers and petitions along with giving thanks. Then the peace of God that exceeds all understanding will keep your hearts and minds safe in Christ Jesus. What causes that peace of God to guard our hearts? 
okay? Be anxious for nothing but with prayer mm. and make your requests known to God, okay? By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, by prayer and supplication, supplication means asking, with thanksgiving. Colossians 3.15 says, somebody read it, turn two pages. In my Bible, turn two pages. The Amplified, go to the next chapter. <laughs> Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since all members of one body you are called and be thankful. Okay. Mm. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. What does it say at the very end? And be thankful. And be thankful. That's the last directive in that passage, and be thankful. And then in 16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts and be thankful. Thankful for what? Thankful, everything. Thankful that we have peace, peace with God. We're not working to get ourselves to heaven. We're not at odds with God anymore in a general sense. Now, don't get me wrong, we sometimes argue with him and think that we know better, but we have that peace. He's never going to say that I've had enough of you. Go to your room. He's not, I know, right? Right? Right. What can separate us from the love of God? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. I just was thinking about how sometimes we don't think peace is appropriate. Mm -hmm. I remember when our son was nine and he was suddenly discovered he had a brain tumor, and we were on the road to the hospital, and I was just so peaceful. And then I started feeling guilty about feeling peaceful. I thought, I shouldn't, I'm a bad mother. If I really cared about my son, I wouldn't be this peaceful. And then I kind of shut that down and went, no, God's giving me this peace, so we're going to move on. And I think the world thinks we shouldn't be peaceful in right. certain circumstances. We right. need, you know, right. but that's inappropriate, and right. it's never inappropriate. It's exactly where God has called us. We were dealing with a situation yesterday, and immediately friends of mine started sending me scripture verses. And I thought, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. You need those things because that's our hope. That's where we get the, the ability to stand firm in that peace is through God's word. When we choose thankful prayer, like Paul is talking about, in Colossians and in Philippians, over wallowing in our anxiety and our worry, we demonstrate uh, peace with God. We demonstrate trust in God. When I choose to be thankful, when I choose to, um, to pray and believe that God knows what he's doing, I demonstrate trust. When I concentrate on him, instead of being absorbed by my circumstances, it tells God that I believe he can do everything he has said he will do. I demonstrate my trust in him. I believe God's word. I believe the truth. And then he activates peace in my life. Put on those shoes of peace that you'll be able to stand firm because they're planted firmly. And you'll be able to stand for long times because they're comfortable. And you'll be able to withstand 
what God, what, what Satan wants to throw at you as you stand firm for him. I think one of the things that, can I go? It, it's your turn. <laughs> yes. Just, so I think you came to mind when you were saying that was the more we, like everyone has their favorite pair of shoes yeah. because they're molded to us. Yeah. Yeah, I hope that our shoes that we that we are our, our shoes of trust and um, our, our shoes of peace are well worn. When Lou was so ill a couple of years ago, we went through mail, and that is one thing: Medicare will furnish for diabetics is a free pair of shoes every year. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> the right shoes. Hey, don't mess with her sore feet, Lou. You know, one of the things about peace, I think it's it may be one of the voices that I talked about on Monday that not that I hear voices, but <laughs> when that woman prayed over me and she said, Matt God help Matt realize that voice is not your voice, the one that was belittling me, that I thought was just me needing to do better for God. And uh, it's such a reminder hearing all this about peace and shoes. They're not so that you can stand and do nothing. God's peace is not so you stand comfortably doing nothing. But when you put on those kind of shoes, you can go more places than you ever could with all the other hipster shoes or whatever it is that you think you need to wear or that the world tells you you need to wear. Right. So these are not shoes of uh, exactly comfort. They are aggressive. They are proactive, not right. They're strong. They're they're to provide you strength. God's peace is to provide you strength. You know. That's right. That's right. Yeah, boots even. You know. Right. That's right. That's a good thing. Yeah, that's right. Watch out for those mamas in their combat boots. And you're right. You know, you're right. These are these are um, these are battle shoes. This is a, a pair of shoes that enables you to stand mm-hmm. firm in the firm. midst of the battles of life, right? Which come from within, from without, and for a long time, right? Sometimes we're just standing for a long time and we get weary, but Taking we stand it. firm with these shoes on. If you would look at Ephesians 6.16, again, just to remind us where we are. Because Paul says if we're going to be completely equipped to deal with the spiritual battles of our lives, um, not just against the flesh and blood stuff, but against the powers and the principalities, what does 6.16 say, someone?
shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Okay, I'm going to need an assistant here, Eric. <laughs> Since you're right here. So not a volunteer. Not a volunteer. Exactly. Okay. This is not what Paul was talking about. The shields of the Romans were four feet tall. He looks like he could be a soldier. Four feet tall. They were slightly curved. Most of the time they were um, uh, coated with a leather that was often, depending if it was a battle with flaming uh, potential fire, soaked in water so that you can see when Paul's writing to the Christ followers in Ephesus, which is in Turkey, modern-day Turkey, it was one of the biggest cities, so it was obvious it was three major roads came through. It was huge commerce. It was like New York City and Las Vegas and Hollywood all combined. Um, there, would be, there was a lot of action going on in Ephesus. So with a four-foot thing, he could duck down behind his shield, and there's been so many movies about this. Also, with the size of the shields, not only could they duck down, but if they stuck together, they would make like that turtle shell thing. So it would be all the walls, whether you saw it in The Lord of the Rings or whether you saw it in 300 or any of those crazy movies. Um, and the guys in the middle would take their shields and cover the top. I think right there is a huge illustration, you know, that when we are the body of Christ together, standing side by side, two of us could protect ourselves from the flaming arrows of the enemy a whole lot better than him alone and not with a puny shield. So when Paul is talking about take up the shield of faith, he's talking about something very substantial. And that's the, uh, what I wanted to point out. So thank you for your demonstration. One other thing that's unique about this um, piece of armor, did anybody catch it? There's the opening verbs on verse 16. It says what? Above all. Above all. And then what are the words right after that? Take, take up the shield. Up until now, so far, we're talking about items that we wear. In other words, the shield of faith we must take up. We must hold it aloft in order to use it. If I'm setting it down, it makes all the rest of me that much more vulnerable unless I take it up. It's one thing that we can lay aside if we're strapped on with these other pieces of armor. Faith has got to be in action. We're all familiar with James and how he says, faith without is... Yeah. Yeah. Faith... The best definition I've ever heard of faith from a long, long time ago, faith is belief in action. Faith is belief in action. I can have faith that this uh, pond covered in ice would hold up my weight. I can have faith that this chair I sit in would hold up my weight. But uh, I could have belief that it would hold up my weight. But that would not be faith until I put my weight on it. Faith is belief in action. And, you know, talking about the world systems and the world's ideas, faith for us just means, oh, you can't prove it. 
So you got to have faith. We have been somehow painted into a corner or boxed into a corner or beat up into a corner where faith just means, oh, it's not scientific. We have to lay aside all of the preconceived notions or the world concepts of what faith is. You know, uh, there's a neat quote by C.S. Lewis that talks about sometimes as a Christ follower, I want, uh, in, in walking in faith, I look at atheism and it looks pretty good. But before I became a Christ follower, he was a thinking atheist. And as an atheist, he was looking at Christianity and saying, oh, that looks pretty good. The fact is, um, faith can be determined... <laughs> C.S. Lewis always says, by my digestion that day. My faith, my response, how much I'm putting my belief in action. It's not just a mental game. And so we are called to take up the shield of faith. And we must hold it aloft. Uh, Hebrews 11. Why doesn't everybody turn there? We're going to look there um, now and then later on. Hebrews 11 is the famous Hall of Faith, they call it. Hall of Fame, Hall of Faith. Would somebody read 11.1? And I want to hear maybe three different translations. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is confidence in what we hope for, assurance of what we have not seen. Somebody else? Mm -hmm. What is faith? It is the confident assurance that something we want is going to happen. Mm -hmm. It is the certainty that what we hope for is waiting for us, even though we cannot see it up ahead. Confidence and certainty in things not yet seen. Any other words? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Isn't that interesting? Substance, evidence, confidence, assurance. Normally, we think of faith as like Disney dreamland, don't we? I mean, we've kind of, maybe we don't, but it, that's, that's the leanings of our society. Oh, just have a little faith. But what this definition is, it's substance, it's evidence, it's confidence, it's assurance. And we are to hold that up in our faith. In Romans 8, 24, it says, you don't hope for what you already have. You know, I look around at, at Bayshore. How many people grew up going to Bayshore? Wow, about half of How many people's grandparents were here? I've got goosebumps right now. Don't you know that um, what, what was faith years ago is now sight? This did not exist the way it was years ago. Talk about the legacy. Talk about the heritage that Kevin's been um, uh, bringing to us in the evenings. Faith is belief in action 
And there's substance as a result of it. There's assurance as a result of it. There's evidence as a result of it. Um, now, the question is, okay, I don't know if you've had a friend and, and they're a good friend, or maybe it's been somebody at your church, and you, you want them to see Christ. You want them to enter into this relationship with Christ. But you can't just say, well, just get faith. Well, if I could, I would have by now, right? Don't you wish there was some way to just transfer that to your kids, to your grandkids, to your friends, that they could see the peace and the love and the joy that is available? So where does faith come from? Three different verses. Someone say, I got it. Um, Ephesians 2, 8. Somebody say, I got it. 1 Corinthians 12, 9. Okay, let's hear Ephesians 2, 8. Ephesians 2, 8. For yeah. by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, not from yourself, it is the gift of God. Where is it from? God. It is a gift of God. It is not from ourselves. How about 1 Corinthians 12, 9? My version, and I may start time with a little of Okay. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gift of healing by that one. Mm -hmm. So where does faith come from? By the... Yeah. Why? So maybe that's why faith is something that we pick up. That we hold aloft. It's not just immediately on us. It's something that we do something with because it is substance and it is evidence of the hope that we have in Christ of things unseen. And, yes? It's an old hymn that probably most people here don't know. It. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. <laughs> I love that. I think you're not alone in knowing that one. That's just it. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. You know, when it comes to faith, um, we've got to lay aside that it just means wishful thinking or unprovable. Because every skyscraper started with faith in someone thinking they could build it and having the tools to build it. The other thing um, about faith, and um, it's not, it's, I guess one of the most helpful things that was said to me, it was at Garrett Seminary. Um, there is always going to be a leap of faith because it's unseen, because it's something not yet. And so the, for your friend that you may be trying to witness to, that you may be trying to share faith with, is you got to know there's always going to be a leap of faith. And it's our job to make sure the leap isn't quite so far for them. How many people can remember the top five sermons they ever heard? How many people can remember the top five people who were an example to them about faith? Yeah. That helps make that leap. After the merger and they didn't know what's going to happen. They shook 
and we're talking local people, very conservative, but these people had faith in this is the evidence. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's right. And it's gang gangbusters. That's right. What took faith yesterday is sight today for many people. And our job is to help people realize there's still going to be a leap of faith. Be because it's us putting our faith, picking up our faith in God. But it's not, um, it doesn't have to be miles and miles away that they can see what it looks like because of the evidence in our lives. I got a question. Yeah, yeah. Paul well, says you pick up the shield of faith. Mm-hmm. Okay, then we just read the shield of faith word. Speak the word. The strength of the shield of faith. So what Paul is saying, you pick up that shield of faith. When you're doing, you're going up there. You're telling the people to pray to God. Telling the people. You're telling people about the Lord and the gospel. He tells you to pick up. He got the whole arm on. So he's not pick up the skill. Mm -hmm. He tells you to go up there. Use the arm. Use the, uh, the shield. That's what you're saying. Partly, yes. Now, we think of a shield as a defensive piece of the armor. But at the same time, it's, um, it, it enables us to go out and to interact. It enables us to be able to approach the spiritual battle. Uh, you know what? If you're not running up against Satan, it might be because you're both going in the same direction. Well, it's that whole idea of picking up the shield of faith so that you're able to extinguish, it says, all the flaming missiles of the evil one. Flaming right? missiles of fear. So you're getting all of that, and you're using it as defense against what Satan wants to do in our lives. Fear, so that, doubt, worry. So that faith, that faith is that God knows exactly what he's doing. That God is in control. Mm -hmm. It's our faith. In him. When we put the shield down, it's as though we have stopped believing God is in control. When you stop believing God is in control, you, you have laid that aside for now. But I know you're really on a time thing here, but, you know, when Luke said that back in the transition time, since we wrote our book, we had a board member at that time talk about a board meeting where the topic was by the director's house. And that was the time period when things might have shut down. She said a camper that was from Carol, she didn't remember his name, wrote her a letter as a board member and said, how much I love camp, if there's anything you can do about it, see what you can do. In that board discussion, and in many church board discussions, there is no peace. Mm -hmm. And she said they broke with a lot of dissension Came back. No, I, I, no, 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 sorry. Okay. Um, and she, he, she said, God put it on my heart. I had that letter in my purse. I read it, and it was like the fiery darts of the Holy Spirit went because they had to have a home if they were going to have a direct. That's so good. I would just, well, I had written down Romans 11 17 that because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so, you know, and I think about that faith, the only way my faith can become enlarged 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, when I started doing Bible studies, I mean, I am just always in awe of how God's word, 66 books written over what? Right. Ancient documents. And it dovetails so much. I mean, how much it enlarges your faith when you read about the prophets and the fulfillment of all the things that happened to Israel and mm-hmm. all the promises. And boy, I just it just enlarges your faith every time you read God's word. Yeah. And then that gives you more boldness so that you can say, I've got that faith, but I you need to have that faith. Mm-hmm. So it just like you said, take up the whole armor of God because if you put one piece down, you missed part of That's what right. I want you to have. That's exactly right. And and we're gonna kinda pick up where we left off and we have time to do this. A couple other things about faith. You know, it, it feels like a defensive tool that God has given us, and I think that may be on purpose. Because I have found in my life, it's always easier to act like a Christian than it is to react like a Christian. <laughs> keep going, keep going. And that's, that's, that's what our faith can give us. Even with flaming darts, barbs, arrows, things that will wipe you out. The faith that we have in God that is centered and personal. Um, I'm going to give you a line that we're going to pick up with tomorrow, and it's this. Noah's faith, Noah, Noah's faith saved him long before the ark ever did. Let us pray. God, thank you so much for um, the coming alive of your word in our lives. Or maybe it's the coming of alive of our lives in your word. God, I thank you that you have equipped us fully for not just life, but for, for spiritual battles that we face internally, externally, in the church and in the world. Lord, help us to be um, equipped with the full armor, the full gifts, the full strength that you have given each one of us, that it is not our strength that we go forth in, but that it is your strength. God, thank you so much for the depth that we can plumb in your word together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.